0: Hi and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. How are you all going? Thanks for coming along today. I'm supposed to stand on this X more than anywhere else, but I'm allowed to move as well. But that will kind of be my home base, which is a bit weird, isn't it? Because usually church people, when they talk, they talk from the middle, but that's why I'm over here today. Because thank you for creating this wonderful light piece for me. I really appreciate the art show. That's someone's vision here. Um, for the kids, there's a competition to who can get to the top at the end. If anyone falls over, see Shane. He authorized it. Um, my name's Michael. I'm married. I have four children. I've spoken here a couple of times. Always a pleasure. Um, Love your church, love your school that you're attached to, and love your vision. Um, I'll get to what I'm going to talk about in a second, but I'll start with a bit of a story. I've been married for a while, actually. I was going to say how many years, and I realised I can't remember, and I'll probably get it wrong. So I'll just say a while. Um, And marriage is a surprising story. Things come up that you never thought would come up. Um, When you're, you know, as a, a, a teenager, you're kind of looking for someone who you might be able to spend the rest of your life with, and you. You come across someone and you get to know them and think, yeah, they're the, they're the real deal. That's the person I want to spend the rest of my life with and all those sorts of things. And then one day you do get married and then you have the wedding and then you have the honeymoon and you get home. Like you have a home, hopefully, of some kind and you unlock the door and you walk in for the first time and experience home as a, a, as a couple. And it's really exciting and lovely. And then a whole new bunch of things that you never knew were part of this person's life start to show up, right? Like the surprises start emerging. Um, this is one of the great things about being a bloke, I think, and I appreciate this is a bit of a stereotype, but just bear with me and be generous, that you never have to worry about getting bored with your wife, right? Because every day you never know who you're going to get. So, <laughs> so when I married my awesome wife, one of the things I didn't know I was going to get, and it's a pleasant surprise, is this whole thing called cushions. I don't know if you know about cushions. If you're not yet married... This is wait, awaits you. This is one of the wonderful things that marriage will bring you. See, when I was just slumming it at home um, with my fan bam as a single guy, I had a pillow. And a pillow was all I needed to get through my life. But then immediately upon getting married, I, I became aware that I needed two pillows. This is the display pillow that goes on top of the pillow I actually use occasionally I use this pillow and I get in trouble because this is the display pillow. that, That happened very early on that you get the display pillow. And I think what's going on is that Beck's just trying to work out how far along she can keep pushing this thing. Because every couple of years, another pillow shows up on the bed. So we've got two of these. So currently I'm at a six pillow to one bed ratio, right? There's a lot of I did not expect this. I got down on one knee in Queen Street Mall. Will you be my wife? Not knowing how important pillows would become. I would say that 15% of marriage is actually just moving pillows because they're in the way. And then recently, my wife has been just doing up the bedroom a bit more. So we've got another one. This is a little square one. This is. On, I took it off the bed this morning, put it in the boot without her knowing, because I knew she'd have a word to me if she could see all the pillows are in the boot, because she'd know what I was going to be talking about. This one never gets used for anything. I don't. I don't actually. We've got three of these ones that don't get used for anything. We've got this yellow one, but when we display this one, we display it with the zipper out, and I don't really understand why the zipper has to go out, but apparently that's part of the thing that makes. And we've also. I mean, this is all one bed. Bearing in mind, there's two more of these, because my wife has a pillow, and one more of them. So I, I just couldn't fit them all in. I've got one of these ones as well, a little pink with buttons on it, which is nice. I mean, it's a nice... But what do you use that for? Like, it's so, so small, it can really... I mean, There you go. There, and the other day, I was getting some uh, medicine out of the cabinet, and I looked up... And can you go to the photo I've got on the... Yeah, next... There's a shelf in our cupboard of pillows that don't fit our current ambience, right? (laughs) Like, that we are saving for some time in the future when we will need that particular pillow for that particular design. And I put this up on my Instagram just for a laugh, and my wife's mum hopped on, it's like, oh, there's the Christmas pillow waiting to come out soon. I'm like, do we have Christmas pillows? I didn't even realise. But yes, some some of you would have noticed straight away there's a Christmas pillow there that's going to come out quite soon. Last year, that one came out in October, we've made it to November, so well done us, that's a bit of an achievement. Misconceptions are a thing, you go in expecting one thing and you might get another, and most misconceptions are just fine and kind of fun. Like at the end of the day, if pillows is the biggest drama in your life, you've got a pretty good life, am I right? Like, it's, things are going okay. But one of, I think, the most dangerous misconceptions is the misconception of what is the like, heck the point of this thing that we call Church. We show up here on a Sunday and we all come with what we think should be the thing that happens here. And we all have different views and we start judging it. And some of us have gone through a period in our life. If you're not a church person, like just a little insight. We're talking about church business today. And you're going to get an insight into what the mind of church people is. And we're a bit weird and funny, right? But you kind of understand... Why it's not bad being part of a church and being a Christian, and all that. And maybe you'll think, wow, those people are crazy. I never want to come back again. Just give us another go. Ignore me for, if that's what you come to the conclusion of this week. But you're going to get a bit of an insight because when, say, you move to a new area, you do this thing, right? Where you, we even have a name for it. We call it church hopping or church shopping. Where well, you go visit a couple of churches with your little bucket list of, well, not bucket list, that's the wrong word, a little like checklist of things that that church needs to do to be the church that you want it to be to meet your particular needs. And if I was to categorise those churches into little groups, which I'm going to do because it's fun, here's what they are. The first sort of church that you... Well, not the first, like it could be the third one you go to, but in no particular order. A type of church that you could encounter is a, a social needs church. So a social needs church is, the, is one that sees gaps in the community and seeks to meet those gaps with ministries and activities. Um, A classic example of that potentially would be, say, that a community has a lot of young parents and so they might set up uh, like a mother's group during the week or something like that or they'll they'll invest in a really good crèche or a really good uh, room for feeding or something like that. They might also see gaps in knowledge. So they'll run like classes on financial management, Um, they might run classes on parenting or how to have a good marriage. They see a social need, they look at what the Lord requires of them and thinks well we should meet that need and so they go and meet that need and there's a great history of that in the church historically. Um, Back in ancient Roman times there was this moment where this emperor wrote this letter to his pagan bishops, so the, the, the religious leaders of the kind of state cult saying why can't you be like those Christians that keep caring for people like you're you're doing a really bad job because they keep caring for widows and orphans and the poor and the foreigners they're doing all this caring why can't we be more like them and the first hospitals and schools the sorts of things that Christians and churches really led and so some people go to a church oh that's the sort of church I want to be part of a real real reach the community and fill the gaps that they need sort of church a social needs church the danger of a social needs church of course is that at some point we start wondering what's the difference between that and just going to a school like another school or just going to a, a charity or going to a community service group or going to a hospital it's, what's the difference it's just if you're just meeting needs there's lots of things that aren't religious that are meeting needs too so what separates you the second type of church that you'll often see is one i call a deep faith church these are ones that see their primary purpose about taking a gathering of Christians and really investing into them spiritually. They, they would probably take as their claim word discipleship, right? Um, they would say that, that the, the great, a great church is a church that has Bible studies, maybe during the week. They might even have lectures that, you are, that the people are listening to. They might have a really big library that they enjoy inviting people to and sharing out. Um, And they really think that a core part of your faith is to investigate the Scripture and to allow it to change you. These are all good things. This is things that the Bible endorses. There are whole sections talking about how we need to spend time with God, investigating His Word and seeking His will. These aren't unusual things at all. Um, What tends to happen with these sort of churches over time, though, is they often start picking a couple of theologians who are their theologians, right? Right? And you go to their bookshelves and you see the same last name over and over again. That's just like, okay, so you're the church of that particular interpretation of how we should do the God stuff. And so if it's, if it's just that, it tends to start having this kind of exclusivity feel a bit to it where there's a particular set of theology that you better adhere to that aren't really like the core parts of salvation, they're the next part after that, but if you aren't 100% on board with that, you're probably going to find yourself limited in how much you can be involved. But if you are on board, wow, the sky is the limit. The third sort of church that we often see when you're doing the church shopping thing and marketing around is the Reach the Lost Church. In Australia, there's not as many of these sorts of churches. It's not as common They still exist, though, and they would see things like the Great Commission to be their kind of core thing, to go out and make new believers. There are sorts of churches that might hold really great events that invite lots and lots of people. And some of them even are the ones that go out into the streets and would talk to random people about Jesus and try to win converts through that particular way. They're the ones that would see the leave the 99 and go after the 1 as kind of the catch cry of their church. That's the sort of church that we really want to be. Um, the danger being with these sorts of churches is that someone could come in and want to learn more about faith and say, so well, it's your responsibility. We're all going out to bribe you to go and find some people to convert. And we, there's a bit of a tendency to perhaps feel a bit like, well, what's, after I'm in, what's there for me, apart from just contributing to this whole go out, go out sort of mentality. And so looking at those, I've obviously caricatured a little bit, looking at the three of those and maybe even reflecting on what your particular checklist is of what you think a church should be, and maybe having a guess that when we're in the midway through a series on the church Jesus wanted, and you think, well, what's the right one? Which is the, the right sort of church, which is the one that I like the most, but which is the right one? And I think there's a tendency for us to take a bit of a Goldilocks approach and think, actually, it's just... All of them, just not too much of any, you know, just not too much and not too little, but just right, as Goldilocks would have it. We need an even amount of all those things, and that is the church that we are supposed to be, that this is the church that God would have us build, a church that does all these but not any too much because that would be at the expense of another one. So it's all in perfect balance and harmony, and that's the sort of church that we're after. I mean, maybe there is some merit to that. I think if that was the model that you chose to follow, I don't think you'd have a bad church. You'd do lots of great things. You would see people probably come to faith. You would see people growing in their faith. You'd probably be serving your community. I'm not convinced that Jesus came to have a balanced church that met all the needs like of every particular type of church hopper. Because the problem I think with viewing church through this particular lens, if we think what was Jesus on about? So I think that there's a little bit of, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe consumerism that comes at the basis of this. For who is church to serve? Because if this is the three parts the social needs, the deep faith, the reach, the loss, if that's the components that we're all trying to look at here, what we're really saying is church is about meeting my particular needs, my particular list. It's a consumer and individualist model of church that says a church is a good church if it ticks all the boxes for me. And that's nothing I ever see Jesus say. I never see Jesus say, let's build a church here, let's build a church here because, well here's the five things that those people want, let's make sure we meet that market. Um, I'm a bit of an NRL fan and unfortunately the Melbourne Storm won the other day. So um, most of us are either Storm fans or we don't like the Storm, that's pretty much the division of how it all works, right? But credit where credit's due, this is an incredible team. Before the kickoff, they showed the team list of them and the Panthers. And just looking through the list of the Melbourne Storm players, I'm just like, how on earth do the Panthers have a chance? Like, every second player is a gun in their particular position. Um, So credit where credit's due, they played really well, got a bit of luck with a few things, but good teams tend to get the luck. That's kind of how sport works, right? In the reflections after the game, a little bit before the game too, people were talking about this Storm Dynasty, this dynasty of a team that has consistently had great players come through. I've got three articles on the slide here, here somewhere, just from the newspaper talking about this Melbourne Storms development dynasty alive. Why the Storm haven't signed a big name since two thousand and six, despite regularly losing stars, the Storm factory just keeps them coming. The last time the Melbourne Storm signed an already established excellent player from another team was about 15 years ago. Michael Crocker was his name, I think. Since then, all of their greats have been young people who have come through and become great. The secret source of the Melbourne Storm is their development of players. Taking each of their players in a particular journey to get to a particular position if Cameron Smith retires in January, which he may well do, they've got two of the best hookers on the bench ready to come in. They've got Harry Grant, who just won Rookie of the Year, playing for another team because they lent him to another team for a year and they're guaranteed would come back the year after. And then they've got another guy named Brandon Smith, who's an absolute gun and calls himself Cheese, which is hilarious. Two fantastic players ready to take one of the greatest players' position right there i got a fullback named Ryan Pappenhausen who's only been playing for a season and a half and is already one of the top three fullbacks in the competition. Like this this team will probably make the grand final again next year and have ha- players who've really just only started playing. And yet we'll think of the, see their names in a couple of years and think, wow, look at all those good players. How did they get them? They developed them is the secret. And I think when we start reflecting on what a church is supposed to be like, this isn't a great metaphor, but it's probably the best one I could come up with. It's less like a business trying to meet a consumer market and more like a tr- team trying to reach a goal. Because when you're a team trying to reach a goal, you work together wherever someone is at in their different points in the journey, but all moving in the same direction. If you could go to the next slide for me, that would be wonderful. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through a few verses here just to talk about how Jesus did this. How Jesus did this kind of development of who he has in his team rather than build a church to meet a market. So this is just from very early in the Jesus story. So we're talking Matthew chapter 4 here. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two bros, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. And once they left the nets and followed him. A few verses later, then Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So the first kind of sense that we have here is that the way Jesus did church was first through a come and follow me model, a come and follow. If we go to the next slide for me, please. Yeah, next one. There we go. And when Jesus had called the 12 together, so eventually he grabbed a little posse of of key people, right? He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And between Luke 9 and Matthew 28, um, there's different books of the Bible, but timeline, there's a big gap, like a few years that happens between these events, right? If you just flick through your Gospels in your Bible, right, you just see... Page after page of Jesus teaching and teaching and then saying, go out and go out. And teach, teach, go out, go out. Teach, teach, go out, go out. And then go back, sorry, I oh, know, we kept stopping and changing. And then towards the end, Matthew twenty, we get towards the end of the story of Jesus here. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And next slide. I think it's... for oh, me, please. And then after Jesus had done his thing, and then the whole resurrection stuff, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So when we look at the Jesus model, we don't see a model where it's like, okay, what's the exact needs of this particular group of people? Let me see how I can meet them to maximise the amount of people that show up in any particular time. The Jesus model is come and follow, and then go and see, go out, go and make, come and follow, go and make. And to get from come and see to go and make, Jesus has lots of little steps along the way to give those people who are coming and follow him what they need to learn and develop and improve in so they can make the main thing the main thing. So if I was to try and summarise all of this, I think possibly what we need to do is consider what the whole church word even means. So this is the first time the word church even appears in the Bible. You might have even done this already, I'm not sure, but if you haven't, this is, this is the first time, the word, right, ever. It's super exciting for the historians in the room. Jesus asked, who do you say? I'm just having a conversation. Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. In the original language, the word church there is the word ecclesia, if you could go to the next slide for me. That's a Greek word. And that particular word doesn't mean building. That particular word doesn't mean institution in the, on a corner block in a particular suburb. The word ecclesia actually means, next slide for me, please. means, oh, you might have to lose me in the corner there, a community united by common purpose, a gathering. Somewhere around like 300 AD in the history of the church, this guy named Constantine showed up, you might have heard of him. Christianity became a bit of an official religion of the state of Rome. And in that sort of transition time, as the, the gospel went out more and more people became Christians, this particular word, ecclesia, was retranslated into different dialects depending on who was where. And they called the word kirch, which is, I think, a Germanic term, which then eventually became the word church. But the problem is the word church meant building. And the thing about a building is that's really easy for a government to control. And so when the Romans were like, okay, we'll make this thing part of how we do society, we'll make church as an institution part of society, and you'll meet on this particular day, in this particular place, and you do things this particular way. And in that kind of dialogic moment where how languages used change, so from that point forward, church became a place that you go, much like you go to Sizzler or you go to McDonald's or you go to Westfields, and not an ecclesia, which was a community unit by a common purpose or a gathering. The entire purpose of what Jesus was saying here is that you will be a community. Not that you will be a place where you assess each shop by what it's giving and if they're the right mix of social needs and the right mix of deep faith and the right mix of going out and making Christians. Not about trying to have the best smorgasbord on offer of your favourite little treats, but to be a community united under Jesus. See, I've got this, this is my phrase, this is the one thing you've got to remember from today, if you're going to remember anything, Jesus' church model is not to meet a market, but to be a community on a journey. That's the whole, that's what church is supposed to be. So I know you're going to hop anyway, one day you're going to move to another location and you're going to try and find a church that meets your particular needs, I get that. If you have young kids, there's certain things that make life really hard if they don't have stuff that your kids can attend, right, I get that, totally get that. But rather than just go with your shopping list and think, I need this, I need this, I need this, and I need this, and that's what a good church is, I want you to instead consider as well, who is this community that I'm seeing and what journey is Jesus taking them on? Because if you see church as a community and a journey, not a place and a market, there's a lot of implications for how then church should operate. I'm going to go through some of those now. Um, next slide for me, please. Some, uh, actually, could you pause it while we do a plan. quick intro on this? So this next chunk, a great friend of mine was going to deliver. His name's Mark Broadbent. You might know him. Fortunately, he's getting chemo at the moment. And so he's unable, un- he's too ill to do this bit. And so I thought, what would Mark do? <laughs> he would show a video clip from a Marvel film, wouldn't he? So, in honor of Mark Broadbent, who is not with us, to hit, with us this morning. Um, I'm feeling a bit rubbish, to be perfectly honest. Let's watch a little clip from Guardians of the Galaxy about the plan. This is a classic clip, by the way. All right. How? I have a plan. You've got a plan. Yes. First of all, you're copying me from when I said I had a plan. No, I'm not. People say that all the time. It's not that unique of a thing to say. Secondly, I don't even believe you have a plan. I have Part of a plan. What percentage of a plan do you have? You don't get to ask questions after the nonsense you pulled on Nowhere. I just saved Quill. We've already established that you destroying the ship that I'm on is not saving me. When did we establish Like three that? seconds ago! I wasn't listening to it. I was thinking of something else. Oh. She's right. You don't get an opinion. What percentage? I don't know. 12%. 12%? <laughs>
1: That's a fake laugh.
0: It's real! Totally fake. That is the most real authentic, hysterical laugh of my entire life, because that is not a plan! It's barely a concept. You're taking their side? I am Groot. So what? It's better than 11%. What the hell does that have to do with anything? Thank you, Groot. Thank you. See? Groot's the only one of you who has a clue. Come Guys. Come on. Yondu is gonna be here in two seconds. He expects to hear this big plan of ours. I need your help. How good is that? A plan. So, what's the point? So, Jesus comes along, come and see, come and follow, and then go and make. That's the the journey. Be a community, not a building. Come and follow, go and make. That's the, the journey, right? Community and journey, community and journey. All right, can I go to the next slide there? So, how do we get there? What's the plan? I just want to point out, you can have 11% of a plan and that's okay. Each church will have its own version of how to go from come and follow to go and make. The research on like business and stuff is basically this. Any plan is better than no plan. And so when it comes to how do we make this come and follow, go and make journey work in our church context here at Creekside... I'm going to tell you what Mark told me about what your plan is because it's a good plan. But even if it's only 11% of a plan and you look at it and you think, oh, look, I'd change that little bit there or I'd add an S or an I and G to that part, whatever that is, it doesn't really make that big a difference. 11% of a plan is enough. It's just we need something, some sort of plan so we can do this thing because if we don't have any plan, then we don't know what we're doing. We don't have any way of measuring. The plan to move a non-believer... So, someone who's not doing anything, just hanging out, you know, and sees someone's giving away free bread and fish at some lake one day, and it's, oh, that Jesus guy, that's pretty cool. He's making free food. I'm going to follow him. And then one day that person becomes a go and maker, a go and mission, and all those steps in between. What's the plan? Here's the plan. I've got a plan. That's the pl- you might have, seen, have you seen the plan? Is this the first time? No, it's not the f- Thank goodness. Because I've, I've struggled to explain everything or part of it. Couple of little things I want to point out, and then I'll go through each little bit because from after today, the next five weeks is going to be one each on those five words in the middle. So we'll, go, we'll do deep dives into what each of the steps are. But the point of being here is that in terms of these steps, they're not really steps, they're interlocking and interwoven. That's why the that arrow has not got a gap in between it, I reckon. I didn't design it, but that's my theory, that they're overlapping. Because one of the dangers can be when you see a plan is you think, well, this is a restrictive device and I have to do it in this particular order. No, okay, you can mix it up a bit according to where you're at in your particular journey. A great coach knows what Ryan Pappenhausen needs and knows what Brandon Smith needs. They're all going the same direction, but they might need their own different version of that thing to get to the place. But what the steps do describe is how things usually play out. This is the, the most common pathway that we see Christians move towards as they take on seriously the idea of being grace-led, sorry, grace-driven, spirit-led missionaries. So let's just quickly go through them. captivated, connect, grow, serve, and reach. And what I want to suggest for you is, just for the rest of today, is to do a little bit of an audit of yourself, a little bit of a consideration of where I'm at with these, because if I'm on a journey and I know where I want to get to, What are the steps I need to take to get there? Where am I at? Because if today you're walking away thinking, I don't really want to be this kind of go and make sort of person. I'm not really feeling ready to go and teach and equip and proclaim. I'm not really feeling ready to love and serve my community in the ways that fit my particular strengths and gifts that God has given me. Then as you reflect on these, I want you to consider, well, if the coach was talking, if Jesus was with you, taking you on this journey... What would be the thing he's saying you need to do next? So we start with captivated. This is going to be just questions for you to consider for yourself. How might I encounter Jesus and what he has done? Sometimes when our faith is feeling dry, when we've had a tough week, what we're after actually is just a reminder of how good our God is. And if you are feeling dry today and you've come along this morning because you just feel obligated, not because you're really feeling it, you're not really being reminded enough of what the heck this whole what makes this good where's the joy you might be asking yourself and the step that we're saying here is you might need to be captivated again by who Jesus is often this is the first step that someone makes on their journey towards a Christian is that they will encounter some Christian people I'll be like captivated by who the heck this person is walking through Galilee saying these great things and making free and like magical fish and bread like I'm going to follow that. I'm captivated by that. Crowns will show up because they're just amazed by what sort of community this must be. That's these sorts of people are there and this is how they treat us. Often, unbelievers become believers first by being captivated by Jesus and those who follow him. And maybe you need to be captivated again. Or maybe you need to connect. Question there How would Jesus have me find belonging? If you're feeling like you're doing this on your own if you feel like you're a little bit isolated next good step in your christian journey might be to just find some places to belong church research and they do this there's a thing called church research i know it's crazy basically says that if you have seven friends in your church you're going to be all right okay just count how many close people you have at your church and exponentially your likelihood of kind of being okay mentally sticking at the church for a long time giving to the church, all that stuff just goes up the more friends you have and kind of caps out at about seven and then it doesn't really matter how many more after that you have it's all good kind of at that point point. and so if you're thinking I've only got one or my friends and my kids that I bring with me, I, maybe that's not enough, maybe the next step for you is to find a way to belong or grow might be for you what come, comes next how could I invite the spirit to teach me, the habits that we might have on a daily basis or a weekly basis, the things we're listening to on our daily commute The conversations that we have when we get together with mates might bring up something that you're really struggling with intellectually that could be a great way to be growing or just praying and listening and being quiet if you're thinking oh my faith really hasn't done anything different over the last 10 years it's pretty much the same as it was a decade ago maybe it's time to start thinking how what am i doing that's inviting the spirit to teach me what are the things i'm taking responsibility for to make the give permission in time for Jesus truth to become more real for me how am I going to grow how can I provide time for the spirit to speak or maybe the point is to serve often this is like this is often the order that things go in right you're captivated then you belong to a group and then in that group you start growing and then as after a while you're like okay I'm pretty good on this let's, let's let's do something how may I use my resources to build God's kingdom it might be financial resources, you might be blessed with a job in this climate, that's a good thing, so well done you. You might just have particular gifts and abilities, you might have time, you might be really great with people, you might be really good at praying. The step on the journey as we get closer and closer to go and make is to start using what you got to make a difference for other people, right? And if you're thinking my faith's not really making me, you know, lift, I'm not feeling like I'm growing in my relationship, my my Christian walk seems to have stagnated. Maybe the thing you need to be doing is just doing something, serving in some way. There's another bit of research out there that if you start doing 20, allocating 20%, I think it is, of your time to outside causes, to things that benefit others, your chance of burnout basically dive. And that it's an exponential relationship that every percentage less of time that you spend on things that benefit others, your chances of being burnt out increase by the same amount of percent. So And it caps out at 20% as well. So it's not like you need to spend 100% of your time on other people because that will destroy you potentially, wouldn't it? But at 20%, that's like the magic number. One in five days, just do something for someone else. And the last thing is reach. How can I love unbelievers and share God's grace? And that might just be cooking a meal. That might just be showing up asking the question, hanging around at drop-off at school for a little bit longer and talking to the mums or dads there and seeing how they're going. It might be more than that. Mentioning in passing that you're a Christian person, you go to a church, inviting them to something. If you're wondering, okay, I'm on this journey. Right, I get it. So he's told me to follow. What sort of things should I be following? These are the sorts of things that you should be following. And if you look at them all and think, okay, well, am I doing them all? Are they all part of my life in some way? Maybe one of them is a particular strength of yours, that's fine, but they probably all should be a part of your life in some way. And that's kind of the best of me, right? But Jesus didn't establish a church to meet a market, nor did Jesus establish a church to meet just you. Jesus established a community, right? So that's the best of me. But if we take all the personal pronouns out that are for you and just replace them with our pronouns, these are the questions I think that you can ask of your church. How might we as a community encounter Jesus and what he has done? How would Jesus have us find belonging? This might be structural stuff. There's probably structures already there, actually. There might be a small group thing that's going on. That's, why does that exist? Because we understand that connecting is part of the journey, And we'll provide ways to help you connect. That's why the church made the call to do that particular thing. It's not because there's some person who's in charge of small group ministry and we've got to give them something to do. It's because Jesus is taking us on a journey and he wants us to find a way to do the things that Jesus would have us do, and that's one of the ways we can connect. Maybe it's being part of a group that's doing something. It might not have to be a Wednesday night activity, it could be just I might have a Friday night youth group or something and the leaders coming together 45 minutes beforehand just to check in with each other before the ferals show up and that's their way of connecting. How could we as a church invite the Spirit to teach us? How may we use our resources to build God's kingdom? How can we love unbelievers and share God's grace? I could go through a bunch of Bible verses on each of these but I'm not going to do that because I don't want to spoil the next few weeks and take all the best stuff out of the Bible from them so I'll leave it at that. But the point here being, and hopefully you're hearing me, is that there's a temptation to see a church as a building meeting a market. And people leave because it didn't meet their market. They were after the penne arabiata, and it turns out they only had bolognese, and so they left. And they were asking the wrong question all the time. They were thinking, oh, I've got these needs, and I think this is what church should be to meet my needs. What they should actually be asking is, is this a community? And where is Jesus taking them? And as you reflect on yourself, consider what your part of that discipleship journey is. Because the idea of church is that everyone is growing, wherever they are. That's what makes it different. We're not meeting a market, we're meeting everyone. We're not trying to be the one church just for the grow church. We're not just the reach church. We're not the... We're not also the perfect balance of all of those church either. We're the Follow Jesus church, and Jesus said, "Anyone who's here, anyone who's in my team, I've got you on a journey, and not only on a journey on your own. You're on a journey with everyone else. And if we're in this together, I think there's a bright future for Creekside. Makes sense. It's good. Church together is what makes it good. This building burnt down, but you still kept meeting." I reckon we'd be okay. You'd make it because church is in a building. Church is a community. Keep, don't give up gathering together. Where three of you gather, Jesus will be there. He'll look after you. Just keep following him and he'll tell you, go and make. Let's pray. Come on. Heavenly Father, you are a good God and you have seen us through difficult times. God, there are probably people here going through difficult times and we're a community and so we care. And so, God, if right now, as we reflect on our community and we can think of someone who's going through a difficult time, God, I pray that we would be the community they need us to be right now. God, pray that you would give us the words, you'd give us the ideas, you'd give us the direction that we need to take to care for and encourage those who are going through difficult times. And God, as we consider structurally what the whole point of church is, we know there's a temptation to market church. And you're not saying that's wrong. You can have a perfectly great church. If God's still in it, you'll make it all happen. We trust you, God, that we kind of can't get this wrong if you are in it. But we want to get this right too. And we look at the way you dealt with your followers. We look at the way that you brought people to you said come and see come and follow and then you met that group of people wherever they were at hugely diverse community some you would challenge with really difficult things some you would encourage some you would heal some you would just love and cry with God, i pray we would be a community like that that we would be the sort of community that people come to and then we meet them wherever they're at, because everyone's welcome. We're not a church for the particular market. We are just a church. We are just a gathering. We are a community united by a purpose. And God, I pray that that purpose would be understood to be not to keep this to ourselves. While this building physically has a fence around it because we have children in it, God, I pray we would not have a fence inside our minds that people have to cross through to be part of this community. God, may we be open. May we open the gates and let people in. May we be brave enough to step out and show the love to people outside of our community. May everyone in this Narangba region be glad that Creekside exists, whether they be Christian or not. May there be some politician one day say, oh, you other people, why can't you be like those people at Creekside that care for people that aren't even Christians? God, let us be the people that do what you want us to do, follow you, get discipled by you, move along a journey so that we can reach out. See us where we are, God, and help us to move to the next stage. Amen. Thank you.